0: Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And with episode 20 brings the Galaxy's Edge miniseries. So for clarity, Galaxy's Edge, if people aren't aware, is the new experience, I'd call it, at Disneyland and Disney World in America, uh, in California and in Florida. And essentially, Disney's Galaxy's Edge is this area that you go into and everything's all immersive and there's lots of really cool things in there. There's a couple of rides and stuff, but the area it is is actually canon. They've done a very clever thing where when you walk into this place, which is called Black Spire Outpost you talk with characters and things and you get involved with rides and stuff and the things that happen there are canon. Now, obviously, if you have one specific conversation with a certain person who's playing a character and you have a conversation with them, that won't then become canon in the Star Wars universe because that wouldn't make any sense. But the events that happen there are within the realms of the canon continuity and things. And it's set between Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, and Episode Nine, Rise of Skywalker, where there's around six months to a year between last jedi and rise of skywalker so that's where this comic is set and it's basically a promo thing for galaxy's edge and a lot of the locations that are in the comic are places you could actually go to in the theme park of galaxy's edge as well and it's a quite a clever tie, and it's very cool but i will pre-warm this episode previous episodes is there's mostly narrative with other bits of lore kind of put in and a lot of dots that are being connected with this it's five short stories which was like, each story's, like, got a flashback within it. So there's, like, a main story going on, which is fairly thin. And then there's flashbacks, which make up the bulk of each individual issue. And it's, it's very, very lore-heavy. So if you aren't that fussed about, you know, Dr. Aphra, Hondo Onsaka, Baby Salax, things like that. If you're just interested in hearing a really specific storyline um, or really cool narratives and things, this isn't necessarily going to be the comic for you. But if you read a lot of the comics or you listen to a lot of these shows, if you've listened to all the ones up to this point, you're probably going to enjoy it because I can connect it to the other shows quite easily. But if you're one who's only just tuning in or you're only really interested in certain elements of things, this is it's around the sequel trilogy era obviously as i've said but it it has flashbacks in the original trilogy it's very i, I know i keep saying it, but it is just very law heavy there's not that much narrative so it might get a little bit confusing at points due to there being flashbacks and flash forward and so many different character names and things and where you guys can't see them i'm going to try my best but As I say, this is a cool comic for connecting lots of dots and having loads of additional details about certain characters, and if you do go to Galaxy's Edge in America, and I think there's going to be a smaller version of one opening up in Disneyland Paris next year, if you want to go there and you want to have a bit more background information of the things there, like one of the main characters in this is Doc Ondar, and you can go to Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, you can actually go to that and see an animatronic Doc Ondar. So... It's quite a cool tie-in and it's making me more and more excited for my trip to Galaxy's Edge which will be (laughs) probably a year after next now but yeah that's basically what this is going to be. It's a really good promotional tool that Disney slash Star Wars have used for the park but it's a fun comic. It's not one of the best ones because it's so into lore but it is fun. So going into some of the details of this, there's five issues in this mini-series. As I said they're all set at around 34 ABY 34 years after the Yavin, when the Death Star blew up and that is after The Force Awakens after The Last Jedi but before The Rise of Skywalker and it's also within this media project including a book Black Spire and another book called Crash of Fate they're all taking place around the Black Spire outpost and that's generally what it They kind of incorporate. I have not read the other two books to be clear. If someone has read both of the books and then reads this and thinks I'm missing out certain details, I do apologize. (laughs) I don't have time to read every single Styles book as much as I would love to, and I'm trying to, but at present I don't, I haven't read those ones. So yeah, just to keep that in mind. The first issue of Galaxy's Edge was released April 2019, the fifth and final issue was released August 2019, and the trade paperback of all of them collection is October 2019. The writer is Ethan Sachs, the artist is Will Sliney, and the colourist is Dono Sanchez-Almara with Proto Bunker. Now Ethan Sachs, he has actually done the Star Wars Allegiance comic miniseries, which I actually spoke about in one of the earlier episodes of Star Wars Comics in Canon, I think around episode 8 or 9 and I think it was episode 9 actually and he also has done some of the work for the Bounty Hunters series which is quite a new thing which I haven't really covered on this show as of yet and then Will Sliney has done the art for the Beckett one-off or one shot the Rise of Kylo Ren comic which I've mentioned previously and then the solo adaptation comic as well and a few other things too So. And I mentioned the Allegiance comic as well because there's certain characters in this which link to the Allegiance comic as well. But as I said, this is going to be quite a lore-heavy episode and there's going to be a lot of things here, there and everywhere that's kind of strung together. So I think I'm going to get started. So issue number one starts with three characters. One is called Remex Io, one's called Kendall Voss, and one's called Waro. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing them. Uh, Remex Io, he is a shapeshifter. The species specifically is a Clawdite. The most well-known Clawdite, I'd say, is probably in Attack of the Clones, episode two, Uh, a character called Zam Wessel. She's the one who tries to put those weird poisonous millipede things into uh, Padme's bed and then... Obi-Wan jumps out, grabs the probe, follows her. Him and Anakin chase her down, and you can tell that she's a shapeshifter and things. And then at one point, they finally get to her. And then they start speaking with her, and Django Fett shoots a poison dart at her, which kills her. So she's probably the most famous Claudite I can think of that's in the films, and that's sort all of jazz. Um, so yeah, shapeshifter's basically the main thing you need to know. Now, Kendall Voss is a human female, and Waru or Wu-Raw is an Aqualish. Now, just quickly, uh, all three of these characters are in the Star Wars Allegiance comic, which I've briefly mentioned before. Um, If you can't remember what happened, I had to go back and look into it. Essentially, Finn and Poe are trying to get weapons that were confiscated off the pirates and left at a New Republic sort of base that got abandoned or a compound ages ago. They go there trying to get the weapons that help fight the First Order and things. And when they do that, then the trio, they're called the Kendall Gang, they basically spot, Finn the first order has put a large bounty out on Finn because obviously he's a deserter of the first order and so they track him down and try and fight him and they basically mess up uh, they don't get him and they they mess a few things up and then the first order is then out to get them essentially because of them screwing things up as well as that Wuuro is W O O R O I keep pronouncing it as different things but um is in Allegiance, he gets shot on the shoulder by Finn by a harpoon. He is an aquilish, which I mentioned before. Aqualishes can either have two eyes or four eyes. They have hairy cheeks and sort of weird fleshy chin parts. Um, the, also, their blood doesn't cauterize, so when their arms get sliced by a lightsaber, it wouldn't you know fuse. It would then bleed a lot. Uh, the most famous aquilish, I would say, is in the original Star Wars, A New Hope, and he's called Ponda Baba. And it's basically the scene where Luke's at the cantina and he's there's the guy who taps him on the shoulder he's got the weird messed up face he's called Cornelius Evazan and he, he goes up to Luke and says I don't like you and he's like sorry and he's like he doesn't like you either and Luke's like okay I'm sorry and he's like you know I'm wanted on I've got the death sentence on 17 star systems that sort of thing and they start to kind of push Luke and then Obi-Wan slices Ponda Baba's arm off uh, and then you see that shot in Star Wars where there's the arm on the floor and there's blood all around it so that's the most famous one they've got really big bug eyes and sort of very strange looking chins uh, and that that's really all you need to know about that sort of character but the in this is much more big and strong I don't know if it's like a species variant or things i couldn't find anything explicit online but yeah it's basically a seeming like a six foot tall almost bodybuilder with four eyes almost like mouth pincery things kind of like a spider ish and hair they're very bizarre looking and very hard to describe but they're not very they're quite intimidating so the three of these people go to Doc Ondar. Doc Ondar is an Ithorian. Uh, an Ithorian I've mentioned in the past as well. There's a few that pop up in canon. You would recognize them in-universe. They get nicknamed as hammerheads. They've got very flat heads uh, that are wide. They've got like two mouths on either side of their neck. It's very, very rare for them to be able to speak in basic, which is you know basically English, essentially, or whatever language you watch Star Wars in. But if we said it was English as an example... When he speaks in that common tongue, they always need some sort of communicator thing. I think there's maybe one canon example where one didn't, but generally they need to have some sort of communicator thing, but Dokondar speaks in Athorian, so you just get the little, this has been translated from Athorian" Thorian thing, so you can understand what he's saying. And... For a little bit of information, because this story sort of centers around Dokondar, and if you're going to go to Galaxy's Edge and you see the animatronic Dokondar and go to his, his den of antiquities and things, it's quite fun to know that, as I said, he is an Ithorian. Um, He was born before 166 BBY. Okay, so 166 years before the Death Star got blown up. That's around the time he was born. There's no specific... Confirmation bits around that. So basically, at the time of this, he's over 200 years old, uh, oh. which is pretty intense. And Dokondar's place also, as well as Black Spire and things, it shows up in quite a few different places. There's the Force Collector, it shows, there's the Galaxy's Edge books that I mentioned previously, and also Dokondar is mentioned in Solo because Kira mentions his name when she's on the sort of pleasure yacht when she first meets Han after being separated with Dryden Voss. And then Black Spire is mentioned by L337 when she speaks to Lando. She says something like, you know, you wouldn't be able to get from here to Black Spire all by yourself. So, they put the seeds in early. Uh the planet Batu, which is where Black Spire outpost is set. Batu is also mentioned in the Force Collector book the th- uh, in the new Thrawn trilogy it's in the second and third books uh, uh, Alliances and Treason um, so it is in a lot of other places kind of little bits here and there but obviously it's quite a new thing so when they are in Dokondar's place they basically notice there's a, a baby Sarlacc what it looks like in this tube thing and they seem a little bit interested and then Doc Undar recalls how he got it and Doc Undar likes to recall how he got things quite a lot because that's the plot for almost every one of these comics so I'll do a brief essentially he got that because he hired a smuggler what's the who's the most famous smuggler you guys can probably think of it's Han Solo so Han Solo and Chewie I'm not sure the exact timing it looks like it's probably a little bit before a new hope from what I can tell it's not confirmed Uh, but it seems to be yeah around that time Han and Chewie they basically go to this planet there's some thugs there they sort of they get tricked and they fight them and stuff the the fight's okay Um, but as I said I'm not going to go too deep into some of the minor narrative points here because they're a bit irrelevant but Han and Chewie scrap and they fight these guys blah 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 and then they find out some interesting things about Sarlax. Now, the Sarlacc pit, which is actually in Return of the Jedi, is the thing that Boba Fett gets thrown into, um, where you think he may have died, which I don't think he has, especially given a couple of new recent announcements and things. But he fell into the pit of the Sarlacc and was allegedly killed. It's the part of the start with Jabba and Luke and that lot when they go and rescue Han and then they fly out is that big pit with tentacles and things and almost like a venus flytrap-ish beaky mouth thing uh they're huge they're like a hundred foot wide pit and they go down loads as well and when han and chewie gets this place there's i think four pits and two of them are sort of adolescents so they're a little bit smaller and two seem to be adults but there are also some really young sarlaccs now young sarlaccs almost like baby ones they are almost god they're very small they're only seemingly about one or two feet tall and it's almost like a human-ish shape but the head isn't a head it's almost like a beak facing upwards it's very very peculiar uh not dissimilar to the demigorgon you know honestly from stranger things but not quite the same yeah it's just like this weird beak thing on the top of its head a weird little body that doesn't really have hands or any specific features and then tentacles coming out and they burrow in the ground and dig really fast then launch themselves at you so like screeching and all these tentacles come out and then this weird giant beak head thing starts to eat you so they're pretty terrifying um it's pretty pretty insane if you go to galaxy's edge you can see one of them in a jar which is quite exciting and essentially they managed to they're trying to get some young sarlaccs to get to doc on dar and they only managed to get one so I know that sounds like a really boring version of the story but as I said there's so much lore in this comic uh, and they basically get it back to Doc Ondar and then it goes back to the the Kendall gang speaking with Doc Ondar and they're asking well, they show him a picture and you don't see what it is and he's like basically gets very flustered and immediately tells them to leave and is he says oh, that's a really powerful weapon but he doesn't want it to get into the wrong hands and that sort of thing and the kendall gang then just leave and say fine if you're not going to sell it to us that's fine we give you any price for it but whatever and they leave and then one of them says to the other one oh he took the bait so the second comic starts with that you basically see Kaidi Mundy get killed again uh, which happened in you know of the Sith he's on Majito and Order 66 happens calling to his troopers and then they all shoot him in the back he drops his saber and then it goes kind of continuing to where Doc was in his antiquity shop the first order's there and they're basically threatening him saying have you had any contact with resistance people have you done this have you done that and kind of trying to flex a little bit on him so he says oh could I can I tell you a story uh, about how I got this weapon, because one of the first order people pick up the lightsaber, which is Kiidi Monday's. Uh, just for clarity, D. mundy Monday. Uh, Megan calls him Turnip Head, which is, in the Star Wars universe would be quite racist. But he's he's the Jedi Master. He's got he's a Serian, and he's got a really big pointy head. He looks like a human just with a really big fleshy pink pointy head. So you should know who I'm speaking about. And while they're all speaking about this, there's this droid that sort of. Eyeglass that's watching what's going on and it turns out the kendall gang planted like a droid recorder there so they could record what's going on and basically do the next step of this heist that they're trying to do and now with doc telling how he got the lightsaber it's another fun flashback so it goes down to the banking clan on my the banking clan are the mun species i kind of think they look a little bit like squidward from spongebob squarepants um they're in the clone wars quite a lot they are in episode two and three I'm pretty certain that Darth Plagueis was actually one, but Darth Plagueis, I'm pretty sure, is primarily in Legends, more so than in canon. Darth Plagueis was Palpatine's master. And yeah, if you knew what they look like, it's just kind of like a human, but almost like it's been stretched out a bit long and things. So they're a Mun species, and they're basically speaking amongst... There's a... Mun, person speaking with a species called the Given. It's almost like got a face of almost like a skull with no eyes and things. It looks kind of like a creepy thing from Halloween. And it's wearing this cybernetic enhancement, which is very similar to the one that I mentioned in the Orlando comic, which Lobot has. In Clarity, if you haven't, and also, weirdly enough, I watched an episode of Star Wars Rebels the other night and a Rodian called zito or something similar to that he's got one as well it's basically an implant that connects to your brain it removes personality increases productivity and you get access to a lot of imperial records and things like that but that's the imperial side of things this one that this given has got it seems to just boost his mental strength because the muns created it so it's got he's really really good at battle calculations and strategies and probability and things like that so that's why he's got that and just for clarity the given species there's not that many of them seen in canon but the one I've mentioned recently is one called The Anti. The Anti is a character that shows up in the second volume of Darth Vader comics which I spoke about a little while ago. So it goes it shows that Greedo is actually involved in this in some way. So Greedo shoots out a window he breaks in he fights a lot of, sort of, sort of guards and things like that. He does kill a few people and he basically gets this given individual who is a code breaker. Now. He gets him, he brings him into a locked room because it's clear that Jabba wanted this codebreaker guy because there's a war going on in the criminal underworld. When the Empire took over, you know, they basically helped push up certain criminals to be more powerful so they can still control and manipulate them, but it let a lot of sort of underworlds run a bit rampant because the Empire a lot of the time was trying to focus on, you know, creating the Death Star and keeping control on everyone and stopping the rebels and all that sort of other jazz. So they get locked into a room, Greedo in this codebreaker, and in this room, because it's on the planet Majito, they've got Kiri Mundi's lightsaber there because he died on Majito and they obviously <laughs> took it, essentially. And what happens is, is the guard's trying to cut through the door, Greedo's there with uh, the codebreaker, he grabs a lightsaber because the codebreaker guy says, that you can't shoot out that window, it's far too thick. He swipes the lightsaber, breaks the window, and then Greedo's sort of colleagues <laughs> i don't know what you'd call them um the fellows they they fly up on like a skiff a little it's basically a mini version of the thing in episode six and jabba's palace it's like a little weird open top boat thing that can fly uh, they shoot this harpoon gun like thing at the side of the building as like a rope so the greedo and the co can jump on it and go onto the, the skiff and the co says oh, it's going to be too heavy, it's not going to make it. And Greedo says, you worry about calculations, I'll worry about this. So he gets the given to jump on. The code breaker jumps on the rope and then immediately falls. And then as he's falling, he says, I informed you. And then he's gone, which is, I just thought that was quite entertaining. Yeah, watching someone fall to their death isn't great, but it was quite a funny way of doing it. And Greedo is like worried and bothered by that of what Jabba's going to do. That does go back to the shop, but I'm just going to continue the Greedo storyline because it's a little bit easier. Um, it goes back from Greedo being at Jabba's. He's speaking to Jabba the Hut, saying he didn't get the Codebreaker, and he apologizes, but he did get this lightsaber. And Jabba's like, oh, what would I do with the lightsaber? I don't want that. It's basically just old clunky junk from decades ago. Uh, you failed me, Greedo. I'm going to take care of you, essentially doesn't kill you and doconda happens to be there and once again I from what I can tell I think it's a subtle nod I think this happened literally like m- like hours or a few days before the events of a new hope that is more of a, an estimation of my own Canon my own head Canon but that's the vibe I get essentially and docondas there speaks to jabber and says look I really want that lightsaber we've already got this deal for um this thing I'm buying off you can I just pay you double and you throw the lightsaber in And Jabba's like, okay, that's fine. Greedo, you're lucky. I'm not going to kill you this time. But I've got a, a bounty for you. Let's see how well you can do. And then Greedo leaves going on this bounty. Well... I think that bounty specifically is Han Solo. It doesn't say that, but that's what I think it is. But yeah, it's quite as I said, this has just got so many connections to the original sequel trilogy. has got references coming up my ears. So it's basically, that's how Doc Ondar got that lightsaber. So then going back to Echo's present day in um, the antiquity shop and things like that, the Aquilesh War... Wuro <laughs> walks off he ends up getting into some sort of fight with a Wookiee, and then he beats the Wookiee and then calls someone and says look this wookie was working for the resistance call the first order to get him sorted out while that's happening the other two the kendo gang they are watching the hologram they're watching the sort of interaction between the first order and Dokondar After Dokondar finishes telling his story, the First Order Sergeant basically says, Why have you wasted my time with this tale? What does that have to do with the Resistance? And I'm going to read you the dialogue between um, Dokondar and the First Order Sergeant, just here. Um, This woman is basically translating for Dokondar because he speaks Ithorian, and the First Order can't understand uh, Ithorian, and they don't have any translators with them. So this woman is translating for him, but he's basically saying it, so I'm just going to make it easier. So Dokondar says... Look closely at the lightsaber. All the power locked inside, laying dormant until called forth with a greater purpose. It has survived long after its great wielder has fallen, and it has outlasted the fall of republics and empires. It has outlasted the schemes of all those with big ambitions and small minds. It will outlast your First Order too. Your hold on Black Spire outpost is tenuous at best. You need the cooperation of its leaders to keep it. So don't come into the the store and threaten me ever again. And then as that's happening one of the First Order troopers says, Sergeant, there's a report of a disturbance in the market. A Wookiee seems to be tied to the Resistance, which is obviously what Warro caused. And then the sergeant says, Enjoy your day, Dokondar. I will be seeing you again soon. And then with that, the translator and Dokondar speak with each other because they're now alone. And they said, look, we need to move here. And he says, That was too close. If Kylo Ren and the First Order ever discovered the Sith relic, it would be far too much power in the wrong hands. There are spies watching the store right now. So we need to move it somewhere, play safer tomorrow night and the kendall gang are watching on the recording and that's when they're going to move in and snatch it so issue three starts with remex or remex which is the claudite shapeshiftery guy uh, he's running away from some first order stormtroopers and then this guy called varg grabs him and says let's talk about some solutions here i am dokanda's fixer so we need to talk And then it cuts and it goes to Ogar's Cantina, which is actually a place you can go to in Disneyland slash Disney World. I believe you can actually get food and drink there, which is like basically in canon food in Star Wars. It's very cool and clever, but I'm not going to delve into that here. But it's really cool if you look online about it. Um, They go to a fortune teller and it's basically a front because they're trying to speak with Hondo Onaka. Now, Hondo Onaka appears in the Clone Wars series quite a lot. He is a... Wee space pirate essentially he wears like there's goggles on all the time and he's very friendly but he's quite like morally ambiguous he, he's quite he's not good or bad he's just in it for himself he is actually one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters in anything I'd say that Ahsoka Tano is my favorite character from the uh, series of Clone Wars but I'd say Hondo is a very very close second Hondo also appears in Star Wars Rebels as well he is incredible uh, and I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't want to go on too much about him. I just think he is a really, really cool character. And he actually appears in the Darth Maul comics, uh, which I did, I think, one of the very first episodes I did. And he tried to steal a Twilight Padawan. Uh, he also, this I only found out today, Hondo had a relationship with the bounty hunter Aura Singh before the Clone Wars. And he knew Django Fett and apparently called him an a honorable man. I think that gets mentioned at some point in the Clone Wars, and it's a line that I missed. But yeah, Aura Singh you should know her if you've listened to this if you don't she's just basically a bounty hunter with ridiculously ridiculously white skin and she's in the clone wars and in the solo movie beckett has it's been confirmed that beckett's killed her fairly recently but hondo he's a space pirate really cool character he's actually in galaxy's edge as well i think he hosts one of the rides and things i think it's the millennium falcon smugglers run one um and he he does show up in lots of other content as well so when they're speaking with Hondo, the Kendall gang, he basically offers to fly them through the, the First Order blockade while Doc Dokondar is kind of listening in with a hologram and kind of listening to the conversation telling him to say certain things and not say other things. But then when they leave, it turns out that the Kendall gang are trying to use Hondo and not aware that he's working with Dokondar and things start to get a little bit convoluted. But before that gets specifically confirmed, there is another flashback. Uh, this flashback is about Hondo telling the Kendall Gang how good he is at being able to smuggle people through things, and he tells a little story about it. Dokondar and Hondo go to Jeddah in the early Imperial era. So it was probably 40 years before, I think, around that region maybe more, 40, maybe even 50 years before the events of this. It kind of depends. And they go to Jeddah. Now, Jeddah is the place that's known in Rogue One. It's the place the Empire goes, mines a lot of kyber crystals to assist them with powering up the Death Star. And there's also one of the most ancient Jedi temples that were there and things. So they go there and they basically want to get something. Hondo stuns uh, one of the Guardians of the Wills, and Dokondar isn't very happy about it. He says, like, I really respect these monks. They're doing a great thing. I don't want to hurt anyone here. I just need this thing. And then more show up. They end up trying to fight in some way, and they find this specific statue, which has been carved with a lightsaber. It's made out of kyber crystal, but it's quite a big, hefty statue, and Dokondar wants it while hondo is trying to fight off the guardians of the wills these are a couple of monk people uh ends up the st- place starts to cave in and hondo and doc come out unscathed and then doc ignites Kylie mundi's lightsaber showing obviously he got the lightsaber before this happened and slices the bottom of the sort of loosens it so he can get the statue off so it's a statue made out of kyber crystal it's basically it seems like a a jedi fighting or spinning with like a dragon around him it's quite reminiscent of a lot of the culture of japan and china the sort of dynasties and things like that uh made out of it it's like a jade sort of color as well so i think it's quite heavily influenced in that And obviously being monks and things tibetan monks that sort of thing so there's a lot of that influence in this it's quite a cool looking statue and doc really really wants it because his parents basically died when he was younger and they were just farmers. They found this crazy thing in an archaeological dig. And it's very, very similar to this statue. And then they just mysteriously died. And he never really knew why. He obviously assumes that foul play is afoot. Where the place caved in a little bit. It managed to, I said, get Hondo and Doc free. They start to leave with the statue, the Khyber statue and things. And then one monk is between them and the exit. Now this monk has got a long staff and he is blind. Now, I know what you're thinking and you're correct it's Chira Imwe from Rogue One so the gentleman who is probably one of the best characters in Rogue One if I'm thinking he's amazing he's the blind guy with the best sense of humour and he, or he says you know I'm one with the force the force is with me I'm one with the force, the force is with me, that sort of thing. And he stops them. They kind of start to fight a little bit, and then Doc Pissantup says, Look, I don't want to fight you, please. You've got 2,034 statues that are very, very, very similar to this one. I just want this one because of, and he says about his family and things, and it means a lot to him, and he he wants to show it in the light. He doesn't want it to be hidden away in the dark this entire time. And it looks at both him and Hondo and decides to let them go. Um, which is quite a noble thing to do, really. I mean, I suppose they've got two thousand and thirty-four, but also Hondo and Doc may, of course, some serious damage to Chirrut. Who knows? But yeah, so that's how they basically escape, and then they get up to this Imperial blockade, and then Hondo manages to get them to escape, and that's kind of the vague point of that story. Then Kendall shows Hondo this hologram picture of a sword, and he looks at it and looks quite concerned at things. And this is back, obviously, now current times, and he mentions that someone called Afra was looking for it quite a while ago. Now, Dr. Afra is, as I said, one of my favorite characters uh, in the Star Wars comics, I'd say. She's brilliant, and so are the homicidal droids, Triple <laughs> Zero and BT-1. I'm not going to delve into information about Dr. Afra now. If you ha- don't know anything about her and you want to know more information about her, there's a new audiobook out which you can listen to about her, or you can go back and listen to a couple episodes of Star Wars comics in canon because in episode... 15, I believe it is in the first it, it's it's about Darth Vader it's the first volume of Vader that's where she's introduced so if you want a lot more information about Doctor Aphra listen to the first volume of my Vader run of comics as well as the second one because it gets a bit more depth so I think that's episodes 15 and 17 and then you can listen to episode 19 which was last week which is the Vader Down crossover which features the main cast of Star Wars as well as Darth Vader as well as Doctor Aphra so she's quite heavy in the comics she's in a lot of comic crossovers and things like that and she's becoming more and more frontline for things and because this audiobook that's happened recently i think she's probably going to pop up in some sort of animated or even live action series but she's great but yeah that's basically where this comic ends so on to issue number four as i said there was a lot of information on uh, these parts and things Issue number four hondo tells doc and dar more information in person and while that's happening they're getting spied on by the kendall gang the kendall gang seem to have the blade to this sith relic weapon thing they're talking about while it seems that doc has the hilt of the weapon so the hilt is the handle basically where you hold the sword and the blade is the sharp bit um so the sharp the sword has obviously been broken at some point the kendall gang want to proceed with the heist as they said they would and then it goes basically back as a flashback to Aphra and Dokondar speaking about the sword in which this whole sort of adventure is all about. And just for clarity, um, this is obviously, once again, this is then, uh, going back in time to an unknown period of time. But because Dr. Aphra has Triple Zero with her, which is the homicidal protocol droid, who's one of the best characters in Star Wars, and BT-1, who's the homicidal astromech droid. So imagine a C-3PO and an R2-D2 who want to kill you and have got horrendous amounts of torture equipment and God knows what else. So this is set, I think, after the Vader comics, because it may be around the time of the Vader comics, but she is doesn't really mention Vader that much in this, and she gets the droids after the events of the first Vader comic run. So Dokondar's got a couple of guards with him, which are a species called Shister Venons. They basically look like wolf people, and they appear in the Chewbacca comic, which I'm going to be speaking about not next week but i think the week after that part of the heroes of a new hope thing as well as the princess leia and the lando comics as well so that these wolf people are in that uh, and also a funny little tidbit is that although still canon one of the characters appears in the cantina scene in episode four of star wars but only in the pre-1997 editions of the film there's loads of versions of those films but 1997 was when the special edition was released which is when they did loads of add-ins and changed a few scenes and things and one of the scenes they changed was this wolf man being in the cantina on screen for one or two seconds and they replaced him with someone else. I'm not going to go into the depth of that because this episode is already ridiculously lore heavy and you don't need to know that specific bit. But they're basically like wolf people. That's what you need to know and quite strong. So dokondar has got a few guards. afra has got the two homicidal droids. And they're talking about the sword. What Afra said is called the Sword of Kashayun. The legend has it that it was forged by a sect of Dawa tin sith warriors who believed lightsabers were for the weak they believed that only a true worthy warrior would have the strength to wield it legend also has it that the sword is cursed and caused those sith to betray each other and kill each other and to quote afra blah 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 <laughs> so ancient crazy cool strong weapon that's also cursed and Dokandar says it's just as beautiful as i remember it being from the sith engravings i found in my parents belongings looking at a hologram of it So they basically travel to a planet called Moraband, which is an ancient Sith homeworld. Now, if you've seen the Clone Wars, if you've seen season six of the Clone Wars, the last four episodes with Yoda, where he goes on this little journey and adventure by himself, he goes to Moraband and that's where he sees the ghost of Darth Bane or some sort of cursed, uh, like, It's like an enchantment that's got like a Darth Bane sort of trap to it, and it's meant to seem like it's Darth Bane when it's kind of more of an illusion, but it canonizes Darth Bane. Darth Bane is the, from a legend's point of view, he's basically who created the Sith Rule of Two, because all the Sith were always fighting with each other and killing each other and could never defeat the Jedi because they were too busy infighting. So, in a trilogy of books, uh, which are legends, so they're not canon anymore, they basically. Bane decides that the Sith Order can only proceed when there's two of them because you have a Master and an Apprentice the Apprentice gets strong enough to then overthrow the Master and then once that happens then that pa- the Apprentice becomes the Master and then he gets a new Apprentice and then if you do that over generations and generations and generations eventually you'll have a Sith duo who are so powerful they can take over the Universe which is exactly what happened in Episode 3 with Darth Vader being the Apprentice and Palpatine being the Master taking over the entire galaxy for you know 20 odd years but anyway Yoda went to Moraband in the Clone Wars, and it's an ancient Sith homeworld. While they're there, there's loads of like booby traps and things. There's like lasers that shoot out, and lots of other crazy things. And while that's all sort of going on and things, Doc Ondar stays with the ship with one of his guards, as does Triple uh, Zero. Whereas the other guard goes with Doctor Afra and BT One into this Sith temple. So there's the obviously there's all the booby traps and things going off, and while you're watching that happen and people speak over the comms, then. Triple Zero ends up, I don't know how to describe it, but shooting out little uh, spines from his hand and going towards Dokondar, looking like he's about to stab him with his syringe hands. And while that happens, then Afra then jams the comms and says to BT1 Yep, we've jammed the comms, let's make sure he doesn't double cross us, we'll betray him first. Then Afra gets to the sword. This Sith hound appears, like a hellhound thing, and it chases them for like one or two scenes. And then Afra goes to one of the booby traps, which has the lasers. Manages to kind of get on the other side of it. And then the hound leaps for them, and then gets shot by the lasers in the booby trap, therefore being saved. But that happens. But when they're running from the Sith hound, Afra gets BT1 to basically trip up the guard that's with her, that's sort of Dokondar's, to slow down the, the, the hound and make sure they can get away. After then returns to the ship and Doc and his remaining guard are there and they have got a deactivated triple zero with his head almost completely removed just connected by like a wire or two and his lights are all turned off and they basically says well clearly you were trying to betray us and then before the Afra story concludes it goes back to present day with in um, Doc and Dar's Den of Antiquities and what it shows is that the two of the Kendall gang, Kendall Voss and the Aqualish called Wuro, he basically, well, they noticed that this guy called Varg isn't about who's, you know, the fixer, who's the person who normally would be about in this sort of situation, but he's just nowhere about. And then they say to him, you're a bit screwed. You got no one to help you. And we've just disabled your security droids. And then Doc says, well, here's my primary security droid. He's much more powerful. He is called BK-86, and it's basically an old IG unit, Uh, you know, IG-88, IG-86, that sort of thing. There's an IG unit in the Mandalorian. One of the IG units is in Empire Strikes Back, along with the other bounty hunters and things. It's like a fairly thin robot killing machine. And... Remix is trying to contact Kendall on the comms and she says what do you want you know we're really busy at the moment we're in Doc's place we're trying to sort out this heist what you're doing I said to you only contact us if there's an emergency and he's like well this qualifies and there's the First Order troopers standing outside and then in the fifth and final issue it starts with the First Order in Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities I can't keep saying that Uh, along with the Kendall gang and Doc Ondar and his translator and that Bk slash IG unit, and a skirmish basically starts. So the first sort of start to fight the Kendall gang and things. Then things go get a bit messy and does stuff. And then as that's all going on, it then does another flashback to back where afra was on Moraband with Doc Ondar. It confirms again that Doc is basically his. He's trying to uncover the story to find out what happened to his parents and things, but for clarity in this comic that isn't mentioned, and I don't know if it's mentioned at all in the other books to do with Galaxy's Edge, but from what I can see online, it doesn't specifically seem clear. it's just one of those strange things about Doc Ondara seemingly that he his parents died and he doesn't really know why so then we've got the schistaven and guard with Doc as well as a deactivated triple zero b t one and Dr Afra there, and Afra's got the sword docks obviously in front of the ship and things and they're trying to talk things out a little bit and then bt1 is kind of quietly doing something behind Afra. the guard notices and shoots him with i think it's like an ion charge to deactivate him as well Then as that happens, Aphra uses the Sith sword thing to slice this guard and kill him. Uh, So then left with Doc and Aphra, and Aphra's like, I know you won't shoot the sword. It means too much to you. And he immediately starts shooting at her, and she manages to hold the sword in the place, and it kind of deflects a bolt. And I think he shoots shoots her again, and it knocks her down because the sword falls. It splits. The hilt and the blade fall apart, and Aphra falls to the ground, and the blade slams into the ground as well. sort of Almost like a sword in the stone sort of thing, like dead upright. And then the droids start to kind of wake up a little bit again and Doc's like, oh, I should have had more time than this. He tries to, he grabs the hilt and then he tries to grab the blade but it's stuck in the ground. He puts his hands on it, trying to pull it out and then he slices both of his hands. He seems to be fine, he doesn't bleed out or anything but there's a fair amount of blood left on the blade and then he basically just jumps in the ship they got there in and then escapes. So he just left Dr. Aphra there with BT-1 and triple zero and just the blade part of this Sith sword. And that's basically how Doc's got half of it and things. And he's been looking out for a while for the other half of it since then. But back to present day, Kendall Voss uses the kyber statue to deflect bolts, like blaster bolts, which is really cool. That kyber statue was mentioned earlier because obviously it's made out of kyber crystal. The lightsaber from kyber crystal can deflect lightsaber bolts. So assumedly actual kyber can also deflect blaster bolts too so she's holding it and it's like deflecting lightsaber bolt, uh, blaster bolts rather from the first order they're shooting at her it's deflecting them back and it manages to hit a couple of them and then she is kind of surrounded a bit she ignites the lightsaber and then slams it against the sarlax, or baby sarlax sort of glass containment and the baby sarlacc dives out and starts to attack the first order things with tentacles and it's crazy weird head mouth thing and then as the, all the commotion is going on, Kendall Voss and the Aquilish manage to leg it and get out of there with this box of uh, Dokondar's with this Sith hilt in it. Dokondar gets outside and he finds the, the First Order kind of chasing after the Kendall gang, and he sees the Silac on the ground, who's basically laying there and seems very exhausted and has apparently been gorged from eating too much and is now too tired from that. So they pick him up and basically, well, he says he's going to pick him up and put him in a bigger tank and then that solves that problem. Then what it actually shows is when the people get back to their ship, it shows that Varg, the fixer guy, who in the second comic basically grabbed the Claudite shapeshifter guy guy um, and said, we're going to talk some solutions here. What actually happened is he too is a Clawdite. So Varg is a Claudite and so is uh, Remex. And what both do is obviously shapeshift and so what Varg does is shapeshift into Remex and then p- impersonates him from comic two onwards and so that's how Dokkan Daz always kind of got a bit of an upper hand and you're thinking about how did if he's got all that going on in upper hand then how come the Kendall gang managed to steal the sword? Well what happened was is that they managed to swap the boxes out while Varg was pretending to be Remex he basically swapped them out and so Doc has the hilt and the blade and then the last couple pages is basically a lot of dialogue so I'm going to read some of that so Varg says to uh, Doc and Doc how how do we know the first order aren't going to come and get us how do we know the first order aren't going to pursue us and so this is Doc's explanation so he says so Varg says they're going to come after you when they figure out what you've done and Doc says who the first order they now think I'm a victim of a heist. The sergeant will give an accounting to that effect before he gets reassigned to a worse post. And for Kendo, Remex, and Waro, they won't be bothering us once I give them an offer. They can't refuse. So it goes back to them, and they get to the ship and then find Remex kind of on the floor, wounded in some amount. And they're like... Remix, what on earth happened? And he says, Well, it was Varg, Dokondar's enforcer. He got the drop on me before I was meant to meet you in the cantina, and he impersonated me. Do you know how embarrassing it is for a Claudite to be impersonated by another Claudite? There's a panel in the previous uh, couple of pages where Varg says, Oh, I feel vulgar impersonating another Claudite, which is quite interesting. And then a little hologram thing of Dokondar appears, and that's how the comic ends. So I'm just going to read what Dokondar says to the Kendall gang after swindling them. I'm sure there are a lot of bruised egos to go around, and I must apologise, for when word came to me that the famed Kedo crew had found the blade of the sword of Kashian, well, I knew this was a second chance for me. So I must confess, I am the mysterious benefactor who hired you to do this heist. When I learned that Afra's half of the sword had resurfaced, and you had taken it, I couldn't take the chance that you would sell it to the highest bidder, not after my past experiences. So, while this payment is not likely what you are expecting, it's more than enough to give you a head start from the First Order who have got an anonymous tip to the location of your craft in the spaceport. Safe travels. And they open up this box. It's like a chest sort of thing. It's fairly large and it's completely filled with credits. So it seems to be quite a nice amount. And they're like, oh, damn it, he set us up. Quick, we we need to get out of here right now. While the First Order are pursuing us. And then the final word in it is the Kendo gang saying, I guess escaping from this part of the galaxy's edge with our lives counts as a victory. And that's where it ends. Oh, that was... A lot to say. I really hope you guys did enjoy this episode. As I said, it is incredibly lore heavy. The the plot goes backwards and forwards so many times, and I I tried to simplify it to some degree to be less confusing. But it is cool, it's a fun read, but it's not one of the best, I'd say. It is, you know, it's promotion for Galaxy's Edge, and after reading it, it's made me a lot more excited to go to Galaxy's Edge, which clearly is the point of it. And it is really interesting getting the lore on this Sith sword as well as Aphra's involvement and Hondo and also that, you know, Hondo and Dokondar met Chira Imwe on Jeddah. There's all these little fun connections, which is some of the things I love most about Star Wars. So yeah, (laughs) my notes on this page is absolutely mental for this because there are so many connections compared to some of the earlier ones I've been doing with like the Vader comics and things like that, where there's only a couple of connections. And then I read that and it connects about so many different things so i really hope you guys did enjoy that and it did all make sense to you both plot wise and also narrative wise if not contact me and i can give you a a, another explanation but yeah basically doc and his fixer claudite managed to swindle both the first order and the kendo gang and managed to get this ancient sith sword weapon thing which is an actual sword which is quite cool That's going to be it for me, guys. I'm not going to ramble on, but I'm going to say next week is going to be the third volume of the main run of Star Wars comics. So if you listen to Vader Down, uh, which was last week, it continues on from that, from the perspective of the kidnapped Afra, as well as Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, and the droids. Uh, And then the one after that is going to be the Chewbacca miniseries which is part of the heroes of a new hope collection and then after that it will be volume three of darth vader which is the show tauren war um and they the vader comics and the Star Wars comics seem to run parallel in that regard so make sure you've listened to Vader down if you listen to either of those I have my other show called Genuine Chit Chat please go check it out I have a different guest on each week and it's all each episode and it's a lot of fun had the guys with comics emotion on had loads of different people on talk about loads of different things not just movies and nerdy stuff so I'm not gonna ramble on about that but if you're listening wherever you're listening to this show you'll be able to find Genuine Chit Chat thank you so much for listening guys I really really appreciate it um I'll talk to you next week and um, may the force Be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Garth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to tkopresents.com slash discount slash motion 20 and use the code motion 20 at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for comics and motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion 20 and use the promo code motion 20. Happy reading.